Well, thank you so much, worship team. We certainly appreciate that and uh, uh, the beautiful music that we could worship our Lord with. So uh, thanks to them and thanks to all the worshipers who come and give of their time, as well as all these people behind the scenes who uh, make it possible for us to record these messages, these services, and then post them on uh, social media for all of you. Well, do me a favor and uh, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17. We've now come to the end of all the kings of Israel. We're going to start with a guy named Hosea. And uh, uh, it's been a long run, right? And what we're going to need to know tonight as we move forward through uh, uh, several chapters of the Kings and then several chapters of Isaiah are just a few dates. Uh, many of you, if you've been traveling with us, know these dates. But if you don't know these dates, write these down. You're going to need these for tonight. Uh, we started in 931 BC when the kingdom, the ten tribes to the north and the two tribes to the south, Israel to the north, Judah to the south, uh, the kingdom divided in 931 BC. We've been moving our way towards a number that we're going to reach tonight, uh, 722 BC, which is the fall of the northern kingdom to Assyria, the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember, uh, these kings have been alternating between the kings of Israel and uh, the kings uh, of Judah. And we've decided here uh, that we're going to incorporate Isaiah here. We thought it'd be a neat thing to do uh, because these prophecies that are in Isaiah are taking place during the time of the kings. In fact, in Kings and in Isaiah, you see uh, references to, to both Isaiah and the kings, the names of the kings. And so uh, that's a fascinating thing. What we said was, with respect to Isaiah, why would we study Isaiah here uh, uh, contemporaneously or in conjunction with the kings? Well, we said these things. Uh, studying Isaiah and the, prophes uh, the prophecies of Isaiah or the book of Isaiah gives us a clearer vision of God. His heart, what he loves, what grieves him, uh, when judgment comes, and those sorts of things. It gives a, a clear picture of God. It gives us, number two, I think, hope for the future in Jesus Christ. Hope for the future in Jesus Christ. Don't we need that in these times? We said this, uh, studying the book of Isaiah gives us a depth, <laughs> a depth and a breadth, <laughs> I got my signals crossed up there, gives us a depth and the breadth of the gospel. In fact, in Isaiah 40, it says that he's, uh, we're to give glad tidings or the good news. It refers to the good news. And then the last thing we said, and there's several more, but the last thing we said is that if you learn and study Isaiah and become familiar with Isaiah, it, gives you, it orientates you in the Bible, to the things of the Old Testament and the things uh, to the New Testament, and it gives you frames of references. It also, as I have been studying it this week, it just makes your faith bloom when you see that all of these things fit together so perfectly uh, by the Spirit of God. So without any uh, further introduction, I'm going to start reading some of the chapter of uh, 2 Kings 17. Now, we're going to go all the way through 19, 
So we're going to go fast, and we're not going to read every bit of it. I'm counting on you to read this, uh, because it's very important. Okay? So we are now at the last king of Israel. His name's Hosea, if you want to say it that way. He's the last king of Israel. We're at around 725 BC. And let me quiz you. When does Israel fall to the Assyrians? 722 BC. So we have three years or so. Now, let me just say this. (laughs) I told you I wouldn't give you any more introduction, but really I need to. There are two Uh, uh, empires that we're going to encounter over the next several weeks uh, studying kings and then Isaiah. There are two empires that you're going to need to know. The first one you're going to need to know is Assyria. Assyria. It's up in the area of, uh, you know, modern-day Iraq. Well, so's Babylon, the other one we're going to talk about. But it it was an empire that stretched all throughout the Euphrates Valley and then down towards the Mediterranean Sea. And it was a vast empire, the Assyrian Empire. It really was a vast empire. And it, uh, Assyria ruled for approximately uh, 300 or so years. 300 or so years in around, um, uh, you know, 890 or so B.C. all the way down to 605 B.C. And then after that, when we're going to get to that later, is another empire. The other empire that God used as a tool of judgment against his people was Babylon. Was Babylon. And that uh, Babylon came into power, you know, around six, uh, at the end of the Assyrian reign until about 539 or so uh, BC. And we'll talk about that later. But anyway, tonight we'll deal mostly with Assyria. Having said that, I want to remind you of chapter 16. Chapter 16. Chapter 16, you'd need to know uh, three different kings or three different, um, uh, yeah, three different kings. You'd need to know the king of Israel, the northern king. His name was Pekah or Pekah, P-E-K-A-H. And you'd know Rezin, R-E-Z-I-N. He was the king of Syria, the king of Syria. And these two teamed up, these two uh, countries uh, and kings teamed up against the southern kingdom of Judah. And at the time, the king of Judah was a guy named Ahaz. Well, Ahaz was trying to outsmart them, and so he went off and made a pact with uh, the king of Assyria. He became a vassal of the king of Assyria. And in fact, you can see uh, in verse, uh, let's see, 7 of chapter 16 that he says to the king of Assyria now, the enemies of God, the king of Judah said, I am your servant and your son, giving away his birthright, see, as a uh, son of, of God, giving it his, his loyalties over to the king of Assyria. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Assyria and from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up against me. And uh, we went through the prophecies in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 7, that said, Isaiah said to the king of uh, Judah, Ahaz, he said, hey, don't worry about uh, those two kings or those two countries, the king of Israel and the king of Syria. They'll be defeated. They'll be defeated. So don't worry about them. Okay? And then uh, we actually then went through chapters 1 and 6 as well. But here, that's where we begin. What you need to know is that there's these two countries 
Israel and Syria who are pressing in on Judah, the southern kingdom. But especially, uh, uh, you need to know that there's this empire out here, and Judah has made itself friendly with that empire that's against godly things. That's what happened last week. Okay, here we go. Uh, Chapter 17. Before I do, let's just pray briefly and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we need to come to you tonight. We need you every hour, Lord. We need your help here to understand these things. Would you send your spirit and guide us into all truth, and then, Lord, knit them to our beings so that we could go out and love and serve and share the gospel according to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here we go. We're going to go fast, 17, 18, and 19. You're going to need to fill in by reading. I'm trusting you. Uh, to read, okay? So here we go. The last king of Israel, the northern kingdom, in the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, the son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria. Now, just turn over real quick to chapter 15, verse 30. Look how he came into power, Hoshea. He led a conspiracy against the prior king, Pekah, the son of Ramalia, and struck and killed him. He struck and killed him. He assassinated the prior king, and then he reigned in his place. So now turn back to 17. That's who we're dealing with. And he did evil on the side of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who was before. And here's the next thing you need to know. Watch this. In verse uh, 3, Shalmanazar, king of Assyria. See, folks, what we're going to do is we're going to travel tonight from about 725 B.C., to about 701 BC. And during that time, you're going to see several kings of Assyria come in and out of power. I'll point them out. The first one is Shalmaneser, king of Assyria. He came up against him. And Hoshea became his vassal. He paid tribute. King of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to uh, So, king of Egypt. He tried to outwit the king of Syria, this Israeli king, by making a pact with the Egyptians and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year before. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. And now, the time we've been waiting for, all throughout 1 Kings and all throughout 2 Kings, it's actually a very sad time, but it's a a point that you need to know. It's right here in the Bible. I've been talking about it for months. And that's 722 B.C. The king of Assyria now, verse 5, went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. Took three years now. In the ninth year, Samaria, that's the northern areas, the northern parts up there, Israel and then beyond, that, that, that is Samaria, and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria, took Samaria, look at this, and carried Israel away to Assyria, he took away the people. He took away the people to Assyria and placed them in Halah and by the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. And we know from extra-biblical accounts that they were very vicious in the way that they treated their prisoners. And now from here, verse 7, all the way to verse 23, this is a fascinating piece of Scripture. It tells us exactly what was going on with the people of Israel and their sin against the Lord and why they were taken out. And so you can read it there in verse 7. The children of Israel sinned against the Lord their God. What did they do? They had, in the same verse, feared other gods, walked in the statues of the nations. In verse 8, 
Um, and then in verse 9, the children of Israel secretly, folks, that's what sin does. It's in secret against the Lord their God, things, uh, things that weren't right. And they built for themselves high places from watchtower to fortified city. They're breaking Ten Commandments and not worshiping in the right way which God prescribed. Uh, here you go. You'll see the Ten Commandments here. They set up for themselves pillars and wooden images. No image, right? And on every high hill, under every green tree, they burned incense on all the high places, like the nations whom the Lord had carried away and did wicked and provoked the Lord to anger. For they served idols, violation of the Ten Commandments, of which the Lord had said, you, shouldn't, or you shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified, testified excuse me, against Israel and against Judah. By all of his prophets, we talked about that, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, uh, some of the other prophets, Amos and Hosea, etc. Every seer saying, turn from your evil ways. In other words, he was giving them grace and warning and mercy and telling them to turn. And in verse 14, they said, nevertheless, they wouldn't hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who didn't believe. Look, they were just like people who didn't believe in the Lord their God, rejected his statutes, etc. Look what they did. They left, in verse 16, they left all the commandments of the Lord their God. They made for themselves molded images and two calves, just like uh, earlier, coming down from the, you know, uh, getting the Ten Commandments, uh, wooden images and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal, oh my. And then, uh, tragically, in chapter, or verse 17, they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. They sacrificed their children and practiced witchcraft, soothsaying, sold themselves to do evil. I mean, this is really wicked stuff. And the Lord was angry with Israel, verse 18, and removed from his sight. There wasn't any left but the tribe of Judah alone. And also, Judah didn't keep the commandments of the Lord, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. And you can read down to the end there uh, in verse 23. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria, as it is to this day. Why is it to this day? Because of the next few verses. What Assyria would do as an empire who was brutal is not only would they uh, take their people out of the places in which they conquered, they would then take uh, people from other countries, other cultures, other places, and they would inject them into that same place that they had just conquered. Why? Because now they had uh, uh, rendered that place and the culture, you know, kaput. They had uh, taken care of it. It was the best thing that they thought they could do to get rid of a culture. So look here in 24. Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, etc., etc., and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. And it was so. So this is at the northern part of Israel. And at the beginning of the dwelling there, that they didn't fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord, listen to this. <laughs> Interesting, right? They sent, he sent lions among them. Lions. And they were um, uh, uh, prevalent in ancient Israel. Uh, you can remember David uh, came into contact with lions, right? Which killed some of them. Verse 26. So they spoke to the king of Assyria saying, Hey, the nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria, they don't know the rituals of God of the land. Therefore he sent lions and indeed they're killing them because they don't know the rituals of the God of the land. Verse 27. Then the king of Assyria commanded saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Now that's interesting. He's sending a northern priest to go back to the north 
And one of the reasons in which God judged the northern part of Israel was because of their leaders and their priests. And they weren't doing the right thing. So it's probably not a a great thing that they're asking here. The king of Syria, though, says, well, let's try. Send one of their priests or some of their priests or one of their priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there. Let him teach them the rituals. And then one of the priests uh, whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel. And came and dwelt in Bethel. Uh, Remember, uh, though this is kind of uh, shaky because this became one of the great or terrible high places that was against God in Bethel. You can read about that in Genesis 28. And taught them how they should fear the Lord. Boy, that's an indictment or a, uh, a great thing uh, for the leaders of the church or the leaders, people who are discipling, to remember that we're to worship according to what God wants us to, how he wants us to worship, not according to how we want to worship, and to take seriously our uh, uh, discipleship and passing on the faith uh, should the Lord tarry uh, to the next generation. Well, verse 29. However, every nation continued to make gods of its own, of course. They didn't have great leaders and put them in the shrines, etc. And the men of Babylon, listen to this, made Sukoth, Binoth. The men of Kuth made Nerga. That's the god of the Babylonian god of the underworld. That's seriously sick, evil stuff. And the men of Hamath made Ashima and the Avites, etc. And the Servites burned their children in fire to Adramelech. And Anemelech, the gods of Sepharvim. So they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests. So they're, they're religious people. They do religious things. But here's what they do, is they add the Lord God Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to several gods. And that's always a recipe for disaster. And Americans, we need to watch out for that. Here's what we add, or here's who we add to uh, God. We add money, power, sex, cars, religion. Uh, we, we have a number of different idols. Uh, uh, ourselves, our relationships, we have tons of idols. Anything in which we put above the Lord can be an idol. And here, what we do in America is we say, yes, we'll serve God, of course, but we'll serve all these others. And that's not the way in which the Lord asks us to do it. He asks us to love him with all our hearts. And here we see this mixed society of all this different mixed religion type of stuff. And uh, that's not what God wants. So uh, look in verse 34. To this day, they continue practicing these rituals. They don't follow the Lord. What an indictment against the leaders. And you can read on until the end here. And it says in verse 40, however, they didn't not obey, but they followed their formal rituals. So these nations, verse 41, fear the Lord, yet serve their carved images. Also their children and their children's children have continued doing this even to this day. Now you go into chapter 18. We shift from the northern kingdom king to the southern kingdom king named Hezekiah. And I only have a few of them in the southern kingdom marked as good kings. Hezekiah is one of the good kings. But remember, the southern kingdom is not taken out by Babylon until 586 BC. So we have several more southern kings. But this Hezekiah is a good king, generally. He does some strange things, but generally. Look what happens. It's an important chapter. Here's why it's important. It came to pass, verse 1, the year of Hosea, son of Elah, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old. 
His, uh, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai. He did what was right, verse 3, in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Now remember, if you're just joining us or if you're traveling with us, Judah is the one in which has the promise of the Davidic line. That's 2 Samuel 7. God promised to David an everlasting promise. We'll see it later tonight. That uh, uh, the king of uh, there would be a king from the Davidic line on uh, uh, in Israel or in Judah forever, forever, right? Or coming from the uh, the people of God forever from the line of Judah. That's a better way of saying it, right? And so that's always what they're referring to here when they said what his father David had done. It's not really his father; it's his dynastic father. Get it? Okay. So you go to verse four. He did some several things. He removed high places, broke sacred pillars, cut down wooden images, broken pieces of the bronze serpent that Moses has made that the children of Israel burned incense to and called Neshushtan. They made it a god, the relic. And he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. That's important. The others didn't. So that after him, none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor were, uh, who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He didn't depart from following him, but kept his commandments. Right? And you can keep reading. Then in verse 7, the Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. And here it comes. Here's the, uh, uh, what we need to really uh, drill down into. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and didn't serve him. And he subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. Now it came to pass. Look at this. Same story. Why did they tell it twice? Because the first time they told it it was with respect to the king of Israel. Now it's with respect to the king of Judah. Here's the same story. Look at this. Which was the, uh, now it came to pass, verse 9, fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Israel, uh, Syria, came up against Samaria, the north, and at the end of three years they took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. We just read about that. And they took them out, and then they supplanted them with people from other cultures. Remember? Okay. That's important. Verse 11, then the king of Assyria carried Israel away captive, etc., etc., just like that uh, last time. Verse 12, because they didn't obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded, then they would neither hear nor do them. Now, here's something that you really need to take note of. Catch this in verse 13. By the way, rabbit trail. This is a lot of information. But I'm going to tell you something. I just, uh, uh, the more I study it, the more I'm convinced that if we orient ourselves and become familiar with Isaiah, it's going to do a big and mighty work. God's going to do a big and mighty work in your heart through his word, through the book of Isaiah, because you start to understand the prophecies and all these things that the Lord has been talking about uh, up to this point and then going forward. And it's going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and just make it more 3D, if that's a way of saying it. It's just going to have a great impact on you. Well, anyway, in 1813, chapter 18, verse 13, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against, look at this, look at this, He came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Now, you're saying, well, what's the big deal? Well, here's what the big deal is. God had made this covenant with David. They were the 
promised ones, you know, the, the, the chosen ones, of course, all of the people of God. But, but here there was this special covenant with David. And man, God, are you, we're, we're such in judgment that you're going to allow these bloodthirsty, violent, non-God-fearing people, pagan people, to come and take your city? That's what this verse is telling you without saying it that way. It is saying it that way, though. When you see it gets close to, to Judah and took them, then uh, uh, he, there, there's these fortified cities north of Jerusalem that they're picking people off. They're taking people out. The king of Assyria is. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria, Lachish, saying, Hey, I've done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I'll pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, these talents of silver and 30 gold. And Hezekiah gave it to him in the treasures of the king's house. Bad move. And at that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors. Bad move. And from the pillars, which Hezekiah, uh, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Bad move. Bad move. Well, what does Sennacherib boast against the Lord? Or what does he do? He boasts against the Lord. Look at this. Look, I want you to catch the scene now. We're fast forward. He's taken these ones out of Samaria, and now he's coming and picking off the eastern and northern cities above Jerusalem. We're going to find out where they were here in a minute. And the king of Assyria, verse 17, sent, uh, these are just uh, people in the cabinet, the uh, commander-in-chief, the chief of the eunuchs, and the chief of staff the Rabshakeh, with a great army against Jerusalem up to King Isaiah. And they go to Jerusalem and they come up there and they stand right there in the aqueduct from the upper pool, which is on the highway to the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and these other people from Hezekiah's court, come out. And then 19, Rabshakeh says to them, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king and the king of Assyria, what confidence is this in which you trust? Verse 20, you speak of having plans and power for war, but they're mere words, and whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Now look, you're trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. In other words, you're trusting in Egypt and not us. And what this uh, cabinet member is saying, I guarantee you, if you do that, you're going to be toast. We'll take you out. We always have and we always will. That's what he's saying. Get it? And he's right there in Jerusalem saying this to the court of the king of, of Judah. And it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust him. Verse 22. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Now therefore, I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and we'll give you, or I'll give you, 2,000 horses. If you're able on your part to put riders on them, how then will you repel one captain of the least of my servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? And the Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. He's lying. He's slick. He's overbearing. He's cocky because he has this massive empire and uh, military behind him, or at least behind his king and his country. Then Elikim, or however you sell it, Elikim, the son of Hilkiah, sorry, I'm butchering it, Shebna and Joah said to the Rebshakeh, in other words, the Judah, the folks from Judah say uh, to the ones from Assyria, please speak to your servants in Aramaic. 
You get what they're saying here? For we understand it and don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. In other words, the people have come up on the wall and they're listening to this banter back and forth. And the people of Judah say, hey, could you talk in Aramaic so they don't understand it? Because our people are getting scared. That's what's happening here. Well, of course, Rabshika says to them, nah, we're not doing that. So the Rabshika, sensing the fear, look what he does. The enemies of God, when he senses fear, look what happens in verse 28. It emboldens him. It empowers him when he senses fear. When he catches a little foothold, the Rabshika stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew. And spoke, saying, he'll come right to your familiarity place, the enemy of our souls. Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not be able to deliver you from his hands. Or do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He won't be able to deliver you from his hands. Verse 30. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying the Lord will surely deliver us. And on and on and on and on he goes. And he talks about their gods, etc. And he boasts. And he, uh, uh, you know, is cocky and very uh, uh, indignant towards them and very, uh, uh, you know, condescending, etc. And then it says in verse 36, But the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, Don't answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, was over the household. Shebna the scribe and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told them the words of the Rabshakeh. You get it? Everybody tracking so far? Pretty interesting story, right? Well, here now, verse or chapter 19. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth. Of course, he's really sad. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth. And guess where they went? To the man of God to Isaiah, to the one we're studying, the prophet, the son of Amos, and they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, hey, Hezekiah wants to tell you something. This is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there's no strength to bring them forth. We're weak, man. We have no resource and power. That's what he's saying. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the Rabshikah, whom his master, the king of Assyria, sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. Okay, verse 5. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, here's what Isaiah responds, okay? Note this. Thus you shall, you shall say to your master, go back and speak to the king of Assyria. Thus says the Lord, Uh, or excuse me, go back and speak to the king Hezekiah of Judah. Thus uh, says the Lord, don't be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. Surely I'll send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Are you kidding me? How's this going to happen? Mark it. Highlight it in your Bible. You're going to want to know it. It'll build your faith. It will. It'll build your faith. So look what happens. So then the Rabshika returns and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from 
uh, Lachish, a big, big victory there. And the king heard concerning Turkah, king of Ethiopia, look, he has come out to make war with you. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you. Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of this nation or the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gauzan and Haran and Rezaph and the people of Eden who were in Teleasar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, and the king of the city? And Hezekiah, look verse 14, and the, uh, excuse me, and the king of the city of Sepharvim, Hena, and Iva. Verse 14, and Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up, look, look at this. He's made mistakes. He's done some good things. He's made mistakes. He hasn't always done the perfect thing, not always done the right thing. But look, when push come to shove, when the, where the rubber meets the road, when he's at the end of his rope, when, when, when he uh, just don't have any more resource and strength left, no way else to manipulate the situation, nobody else to depend on. Here's what he does. He takes this letter and he goes into the house of the Lord, so smart, and he just spreads it before the Lord. That's prayer. That's prayer. That's real prayer. Lord, help. I don't know what to do. I'm, I, don't, I'm, I need you. I, I'm, I, I can't rely on my self-sufficiency anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm not self-sufficient. There's nothing else I could do. We're beaten unless you help. And Hezekiah, verse 15, prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, your God, you alone, of all the kingdoms, you've made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, he says uh, in 16. Open your eyes. Hear the words of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, which he has reproached the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste. I mean, they're big, and they got gods, and they cast them into the fire. But the work of men's hands, of, through wood and stone, they create gods. Therefore, they destroyed them. Verse 19. Now, therefore, God, I pray, save us from his hand, and all the kings of the earth may know that you are Lord God, you alone. Then, verse 20. Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, uh, Because you have prayed to me against Senar- Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. The Lord hears your prayers, folks. The Lord hears your prayers. When you think you're at the end, at the bottom, nobody's listening, that you're in trouble, that uh, enemies are going to overtake you, that there's no, that, that's the exact place where the Lord can work because your pride and your self-sufficiency are gone and you're just real and transparent and dependent as much as you ever could be. And the Lord hears Verse 20 tells us of chapter 19. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. Now this, these next are spoken as if we're, they're speaking to the king of Assyria. These words. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn, the daughter of Jerusalem. In other words, uh, Jerusalem has somehow, some way, has some sort of upper hand. He's shaken her head behind your back. And here, now he gives God's word to Assyria. Verse 22, whom, you have, or whom have you reproached and blasphemed, he says to the Rabshika or to the Assyrians. Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? You have lifted it up against the Holy One of Israel, God's saying. Not just the people. You're, when you go against the people of God, you're going against me, God says. Remember that. And you're, if you're in Christ, a 
person of God. You're in God's family. Here in 23, he says, By your messengers, you have reproached the Lord. And by the multitude of my chariots, I've come up to the heights of the mountains. He's recounting 2 Kings 18, when they're getting really close, but they don't quite get there. To the limits of Lebanon, I'll cut down its tall cedars, its choice trees. I've dug and drunk, verse 24, strange water. And with the soles of my feet, I've dried up all the brooks of defense. Did you not hear long ago how I made it from ancient times that I formed? Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruin. Therefore, the inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded, verse 26. Uh, uh, And uh, they were as the grass of the field and the green herb, as the grass on the high tops and grain blighted before it's grown. Listen to this. Mighty nations like Assyria can only do what God uh, has uh, decreed. He controls even that. Then look at this in verse 27. God knew how to find the Assyrians, but I know your dwelling place. You can't escape me, he says. You're going out and you're coming in. You're rage against me. You're rage against me in your tumult. Therefore, I'll put a hook in your nose, which is fascinating. It's a fascinating scripture because the Assyrians, when they would take captives, when they took the, some, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, oftentimes they would humiliate their prisoners by stripping them, making them naked. And when they were really feeling uh, uh, irritable and low, they would actually take hooks and they would hook the prisoners together by these hooks through noses. Imagine having to walk all this way to the places which they're taking it. And here he says, listen to this. I remember that, he says. You, you did this to my people, and I've remembered. And therefore, I'll put my hook in my, your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I'll turn you back by the way which you came. And this shall be a sign to you. You shall... Eat this year such as grows of itself. This is so fascinating. And then the second year, what springs from the same, also in the third year, and reap. Talking to Judah, listen to this. I know times have been tough, the Lord says. They've come right down to the walls of Jerusalem and scared us off or scared you off. You, you don't reap, or excuse me, you don't sow this year, but go ahead and eat. I'll make enough for you. Hey, by the way, you don't have to sow next year. He says it right here. I'm going to make enough for you, and you're going to be able to eat. In the third year, okay, go ahead and sow, and we'll resume. You see how good he is? He took care of them. And those who escape, uh, or excuse me, verse 31, uh, or verse 30, sorry, and the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward, bear fruit upward, for out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant. Now, that's a word you want to circle. There's always a remnant There's always a remnant. There's going to be a remnant. We'll talk about it here in a little bit. Therefore, verse 32, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Syria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. How could this be? How could the Lord say this? This is the biggest army in the world. They crush everybody. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into the city, says the Lord, for I'll defend this city to save it for my own safety and for my servant David's sake. You see it? Judah, there's that thing. I'm going to be, hey, listen, God not only makes promises, listen, he's committed to his promises and he never forgets. So learn the promises of God. Now look in verse 35. 
And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out, killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, uh, there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. That's where Assyria is, at Nineveh. In verse 37, Now it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the temple of Nishrach his god, that his sons Adramlech and Sherzir struck him down with the sword, that they, uh, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Irshad and his son reigned in his place. Now, do you remember what the prophecy was of Isaiah back in 19? I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. And that's in chapter 19, verse 7. The prophecy came true. Did you catch that? The prophecy came true. Now, do me a favor. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8. God bless you. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8. Here it is. Remember, we've just got done with a fantastic prophecy uh, in chapter 7. In chapter 7, Ahaz, the prior king of Judah, was worried about the king of Israel and the king of Syria. And God said, don't worry about it. They aren't going to touch you. And we just, listen, and the reason I just took you through 2 Kings is because we just uh, read the story uh, we've read the stories now of how that didn't uh, come to pass, uh, or it did come to pass. Uh, and also, uh, we saw last time that there was this Emmanuel prophecy in chapter 7, this Emmanuel prophecy. And uh, uh, we're going to learn now uh, what happens to Judah, what happens to Judah, and what happens uh, and why it happens to the northern kingdom, that Assyria would take them out. Look here in chapter 8. Moreover, the Lord said to me, Isaiah says, hey, take a large scroll and write on it with a man's pen. Concerning, this is his son, his son, which means speed to the spoil, hasten the booty. In other words, I'm going to take, take, take. That's what his name means. His older son means a remnant will return. Uh, um, Isaiah means Yahweh saves, right? Yahweh saves. And so we got some great word pictures with these names. Well, anyway, in verse 2 of chapter 8 of Isaiah, I'll take for myself faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son. In other words, the Lord has now said to Isaiah, I want you to write this down and get some witnesses because this is important. Right? And they're talking here about the coming Assyrian invasion. So the reason, again, that I just took you through these second kings is so you'll know the history. Now we're looking at the prophecy. Got it? Through the man of God. Well, then, verse 3, I went to the prophetess, that's Isaiah's wife, and she conceived and bore a son. And then the Lord said to me, call his name Maharshal Hashbaz, which I told you what that means. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be taken away before the king of Israel or excuse me, Assyria, they take the northern kingdom. I just read it to you. We just went through it in 2 Kings. Then in verse 5, the Lord also spoke to me again, saying, inasmuch as these people refuse the waters of Shiloh. Folks, those are those beautiful, wonderful waters uh, uh, that we uh, find in the New Testament that Jesus would often uh, be interacting with people in and about. It just speaks of, uh, you know, that, that beautiful uh, relationship that we can have in, in Christ. 
and, and God through Christ uh, by coming into a relationship and relating to him. And as much as these people refuse those waters, see that? And rejoice in Rezin and Ramalia's son. Okay, now therefore, behold the Lord, or the Lord brings up over them. Okay, he brings up over them, the people of Israel, the waters of the river, the Euphrates, strong and mighty, the king of Assyria and all his glory. He's going to go up over his channels. In other words, out of his uh, uh, country, and he's going to go over all his banks, and then listen, he'll pass through Judah. He, he's going to overflow and pass over. He'll reach up to the neck, but he won't uh, 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 drown Judah. You get that? This is the prophecy, and you just read it in 2 Kings, where they got right up to Jerusalem, right up to the very walls, and God then took care of it. You saw it, right? And the stretching out of his wings will fill the breadth of your land. Uh, verse, or, yeah, verse 8, uh, O Emmanuel. Now remember, Emmanuel is what uh, you're to call the, the child over in chapter 7. Uh, verse 14, remember, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In the near fulfillment of this, there probably was a son, somebody who was born of a virgin. Some people even believe Isaiah had two wives. The first one was the virgin referred to there in chapter 7. The second one was the one in chapter 8. I don't know, you can explore that yourselves. But then there's a far fulfillment the far fulfillment is Jesus Christ, and we're going to get into that in a minute. Okay. Now, he's talking here to the coming, about the coming invasion, or, or in, uh, Assyrian invasion. And you see here that he goes and he takes uh, all of the north, but he goes right up to the southern kingdom, but passes over. He doesn't uh, drown them, right? So you see that, and you uh, take, go on uh, unto verse 11. Of chapter 8. For the Lord spoke thus to me, Isaiah, with a strong hand, and instructed me that I shouldn't walk in the way of this people, uh, saying uh, this Don't say a conspiracy concerning all that his people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. See, uh, Isaiah had to go against the grain. You know how he had to go against the grain? Remember, people were probably rooting. Between, between, uh, for the pact between Judah and Assyria that I read to you earlier. Remember when he went to, uh, the king went to him and paid some money, uh, Ahaz did, and they were kind of getting close, and then uh, Hezekiah came in, remember that? And most of the people probably said to the people of God, wait a minute, we need to align ourselves with them. They're the most powerful people in the world. And Isaiah went against it. That's the point here. Don't be like those people. Don't say a conspiracy concerning this, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. In other words, you're going to have to stand up, man of God, people of God, when everybody else is telling you to do this thing, and I'm telling you to do the other thing, you're going to have to stand up and der uh, derive your uh, worth and your approval and, find, and, and look to me and not be fearful of man, but be fearful of me, reverential. I, be fearful of me. Look here in chapter or verse 13. The Lord of hosts, uh, don't be afraid of their threats, threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Boy, what a verse to remember, right? 
And then let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Let him be a sanctuary, a stone of a stumbling and a rock of offense. Actually, that's used in 1 Peter 2, 6 and 8 about Jesus. To the both of the houses of Israel is a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of uh, Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble, fall and be broken, be snared and taken. But how about this? Bind up the testimony. Seal this law among my disciples, and I'll wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob. I'll hope in him. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs. Oh my goodness, you could do a big sermon on this one. Here's what Isaiah just said. You better believe the word of God that I've spoken to you. Assyria's no good. Don't align. We're not going to align ourselves with them. And if you won't believe me, or believe the words, look at me and my children's lives. As signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And when they say to you, seek those who... Look at this. This is what the people in Israel were doing. This is what the people in Judah were doing. Seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? In other words, they were seeking the occult through tarot cards or uh, or horoscopes or uh, Ouija boards or something. They were doing things like this. And God says, wait a minute, to the law and to the testimony. In other words, go there. You get it? And if they don't speak according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. They'll pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, etc., etc., In times of trouble, Judah was turning to darkness. Read this last thing, verse 22. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they shall be driven into darkness. And now here comes another one of those most famous Christmas time prophecies. But really, if we read it in the context of the prophecy, it just pops out in a greater way. And here is what it is. It's getting so dark among the people of God. It's so dark. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. Some believe that's just a reference to Judah. That the light's going to come through Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Even though it looks gloomy. Now think about what they must be thinking when they hear this prophecy. All right, wait a minute. Somebody's going to come. It looks like God's going to relieve us from uh, some of these things and some of these people who are attacking us. Get it? And if you were a northern kingdom person, you would be saying, what happened, God? You let Assyria do this to you. If you were a southern kingdom person, you might be saying to yourself, well, gee, he spared us. But remember, in about a hundred and, I don't know, 40 years or so, a hundred and whatever, 20 years or so, there was going to be an, uh, an enemy that was going to take out the southern kingdom. You catching it? Which means, if God's word is true... Uh, then this must be talking about something even farther away than that. You get the point? And that's Jesus Christ. Look at this. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, and when at first he lightly esteemed. The land of Zebulon, that's in the northern part of uh, Israel, that's in the northern kingdom, and the land of Natali, again, northern, it's in Galilee. That's who were dealt with especially harsh by the Assyrians. Man, and afterward, more heavily oppressed them or her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Well, let me just give you a clue from the Old Testament, or excuse me, from the New Testament, what he's ultimately referring to. Of course, at this time, they may or may not have known that, but in Matthew 4, verses 13 through 16, it says this, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulon and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali, beyond the, by the way of the sea, by, uh, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. Are you getting this? From, what time, or from that time, Jesus began to preach... And to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is hand. In other words, people were now looking at him as the one who fulfilled the prophecy in Isaiah 9, 800 or so years prior, which meant he was claiming to be the Messiah, which is who they speak of here. Look, here's who the, how they do it. Because Galilee, the northern parts, were so ill-treated, look at this. Ver, or chapter three, or verse 3, chapter 9. You have multiplied the nation, increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. You've broken the yoke, staff of his shoulder, rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. That's the great Gideon victory when he only had, you know, went from all those hundreds of, or thousands of soldiers to very little and beat the Midianites. Judges 6 and 7. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. In other words, the battle is over. Why? Because for unto us a child is born. That speaks of humanity. Unto us a son is given. That speaks of deity. And the government will be upon his shoulders. What do I keep telling you every time that I preach up here and you're getting sick of it? 2 Samuel 7. What government? The Davidic government, the dynastic government. And this speaks of, ultimately, in the far fulfillment of the government that Jesus Christ will rule and reign over in the millennial kingdom. And his name will be called, by the way, it's wonderful comma, it's not wonderful counselor, his name will be called Wonderful. He isn't going to have a name that's wonderful. These all speak of his character. He's a counselor. He's Listen, if you're trying to uh, say that Jesus isn't God or the Bible doesn't say Jesus is God, well, look right here. The Messiah, we just read in Matthew 4, he's being referred to as the Messiah, is called Mighty God, the term for God the Father. He is God. This is deity, everlasting father, prince of peace, of the increases of government, there'll be no end. Upon the throne of David, here it is, and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice for that time for, uh, forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You see that? There's a little glimpse. There it is. There's a little glimpse of the millennial kingdom. We're going to get more of it here before we quit. Don't, don't, don't fade away. I got energy tonight because I haven't slept and I've drank a ton of caffeine. Well, listen, just so you know, the book of Corinthians tells us that we're going to participate in his government 
He's going to relegate to us or delegate, however you want to say it, some judgment capacity. He even says we're going to be his saints who are going to come and to rule and reign with him. We're going to come and we're going to come back and rule and reign with him. We even, he says we have uh, the ability through him to judge angels. Remember that? This is it. The millennial kingdom. Where does it fit in the prophetic calendar? Well, no, no, nothing has to happen now before the rapture happens. That time when God comes in the clouds to call up his church could happen any, any moment. At that time, the, the seven-year period of tribulation happens, you know this, where God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world and uh, does business with the Jewish nation. Well, at the end of that seven years, Jesus Christ comes uh, back to the earth, his second coming, with his saints, that'll be us, to rule and reign for 1,000 years in a millennial kingdom. And after that time, some things happen with the enemy of our souls, but after 1,000 years, we get a new heavens and a new earth, and a new Jerusalem, and that's where the Lord is going to establish his kingdom forevermore, and we'll be there in a glorified, resurrected body. And this is talking about that 1,000-year period, the millennial reign. Beautiful, right? Well, listen to this. Go back to chapter 9, verse 8. The punishment of Samaria is from... uh, Chapter 9, verse 8, all the way through 10, verse 4. It goes in four parts. Look at down in verse 13, or verse 12. For all his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. He's talking of judgment. He does it four times. He says this four times during these uh, uh, several uh, verses here. Why? What is he saying uh, against the northern kingdom here? What, what is he talking about? Uh, He's using Israel, the northern kingdom, as an example to Judah and how he's going to judge them. And he judges them here. You could say it. Look at verse 9, the end of verse 9. For their pride and arrogance of heart. Listen. They say to themselves, the bricks have fallen down, but who cares? It doesn't say who cares, but that's what they mean. We'll rebuild when hewed stones. I don't, we don't care what God does. Human ingenuity, we will rebuild. That's, God judges them for that. Look in verse 13 all the way down through verse 17. You can just see in verse 13. For the people didn't turn to him who strikes them, nor did they seek the Lord of hosts. Then verse 16, the leaders of his people caused them to err. This is the northern kingdom. The leadership caused them to err. And they were leading wrong. They wouldn't turn to him. The leaders of the country wouldn't turn to the Lord. Sound familiar? And here they're judged for that, the northern kingdom. Then... You go from 18 uh, all the way through 21. It got so bad in uh, uh, the northern kingdom that it says uh, down in 20, or excuse me, 19, through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is burned up and the people shall be as fuel for the fire. I think what it says is that people were just devouring one another, whether it was cannibalism or just in a way in which, you know, people devour one another. Gossip and backbiting and hating and all those sorts of things and holding grudges. And it says in 20, every man shall eat the flesh of his own arm. It's a tough time for the northern kingdom. And Manasseh Manasseh, sorry, shall devour Ephraim. These are the two sons of Joseph, the northern kingdom, and they shall be against Judah. Now store that away for a minute. For all his anger is not turned away, but is stretched out still. This is why... 
the Lord was judging the northern kingdom with the Assyrians. Do you get it? That's what is happening right here. And then the final one. Man, your leaders decree unrighteous decrees in verse 1. They oppress people. They have prescribed uh, to rob the needy of justice. Take what is right from the poor of my people and widows, fatherless. And he does not like that. Where, uh, without me, verse 4, they shall bow down among the prisoners and they shall fall among the slain. For all his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. These are all some, uh, four of the reasons, four kind of uh, uh, poetic uh, reasons in which the northern kingdom was judged. Get it? But now he says, because you're all probably saying it, but what about Assyria? They're pagans. What? You've used them. And here, what about them? Are you going to do anything about them? Well, the Lord says, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. I used them. They were a tool. And the staff in whose hand is my indignation. I will send him against an ungodly nation, against the people of my wrath. I'll give him charge. And uh, uh, then you go on to verse 7. Yet he does not mean so, nor does his heart think so. But it is in his heart to destroy See that? Assyria is out to destroy and cut off new nations. I used him as a rod, uh, a tool in my hand, but they wouldn't, uh, they, they just got out of hand and they w- were out to destroy and to kill. And then it goes here from 8 to 14, how Assyria boasts. You can read that, 8 to 14, how Assyria boasts. And then in 15, he says, shall the axe boast against, or itself against him who chops with it? <laughs> The tool doesn't talk about the one who's using it, God. No, not, of course. And you can read to the end of that chapter about the arrogant is uh, Assyria being judged. Well, we get to verse, or you can read to verse 19. Then in ch- verse 20, here you go. How beautiful. God's going to preserve a remnant despite the attack of the Assyrians against the northern kingdom. God's going to preserve a remnant. And it shall come to pass in that day, chapter, verse 20, that the remnant of Israel, as such as have escaped the house of Jacob, will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed will overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a determined end in the midst of all the land. Now listen, You understand this? The northern kingdom got taken out by the Assyrians, but there never was another northern kingdom. It became Samaria. You see? Judah is going to be taken out by Babylon in 586 BC, but they're only going to be there for 70 years. And what's going to happen after 70 years? They're actually going to come back into the land. You see that? But God here is telling you, hold on, there is a remnant from Israel. There is a remnant from Israel. There will be a remnant for Israel. And there's several verses in the uh, uh, New Testament and elsewhere that talk about, here in these uh, prophecies, that talk about a returning remnant uh, that'll happen in the last days, okay? Well, go on. Almost done. Almost done, folks. So therefore, verse 24 says, the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, don't be afraid of the Assyrian. He'll strike you with a rod 
and lift up his staff against you in the manner of Egypt for yet a little while, and the indignation will cease, as will my anger in their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will stir up a scourge from him like the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb. You remember that. I just talked about it. Gideon's victory. As his rod was on the sea, so will he lift it up in the manner of Egypt. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from uh, your your shoulder uh, uh, and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Uh, It seems to be saying here that Judah will be spared. And here, 28 through 34, uh, it's going to trace now an invasion of the southern kingdom, Judah. Okay? Watch. Here's how the southern invasion of Judah actually happened. We read about it in the history book, 2 Kings, but in the prophecy, he tells you exactly how it happens. Well, they went to Ai first. Yet God's going to allow this invasion of of Judah, but not up until the point of Jerusalem. You get it? They went to Ai. They passed Migran, Michmash, along the ridge. That's the mountain, this ridge that's right there in Israel. They've taken up Lodge in Geba, Ramah, Gibeah of Saul. Lift up your daughter Galim, Laish, Anathah, Madmanah has fled. The inhabitants of Geham, verse 31. As yet he will remain at Nob. That's just a few miles from Jerusalem. He's right on the outskirts, and he will uh, uh, shake his fist at the mount uh, 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 of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Now, just do me a favor. I know I'm going late, but go to 2 Kings 19. We already read it today. Just go back there. I want you to see something. Go to 2 Kings 19. I'll wait for you to get there. 2 Kings 19. See how the Bible just interacts, intersects, and look at verse 35. 2 Kings 19, 35. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And the people arose early in the morning. And there were the corpses, and Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed, went away. That's what happened right there. Isn't that beautiful? Well, behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, it's beautiful because God's words comes to pass. That's why it's beautiful, not because people were killed. Behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will lop off the bow with terror. Those of high stature will be hewn, uh, and the haughty will be humbled. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Assyria. They'll get, or excuse me, he's talking about uh, uh, Israel. They're, they'll get lopped off. They'll get taken to Assyria, and now turn the page. Christmas comes in again, or what we think is Christmas. But it's not Christmas. You're going to cut down the thickets of the forest with iron. Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. But there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. A rod and a branch shall grow out of his roots. A tender branch shall grow out of the roots. In other words, they lopped off the people of Israel were lopped off, and then uh, the northern kingdom, and then they got right down to Jerusalem. They got right down there to Jerusalem, and it looked like everything was gone, and then the Lord sent an angel, and away went the Assyrians, and out of this place is going to come a branch in contrast to the trees that were cut down. In other words, from these people is coming the light of the world, the branch, the one who gives life. And of course... 
We're talking about return of a remnant, growing, uh, uh, you know, Israel coming back as a nation. But bef- beyond that, right? Uh, I guess not beyond that. But before that, it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. And look, just so you know, this is where it says the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. That's what was on the Messiah. And his delight is in the fear of the Lord. John 4, 34. His food is to do the will of one who sent him, right? And you could keep reading to verse 5. But then when we get to uh, uh, verse 6, we're talking again about this millennial kingdom. How do we know? Because the wolf is going to lay down with the lamb. They dwell with the lamb. Verse 6. The leopard shall lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion, fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones are going to lie down, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. There's going to be a transformation of nature. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Here's why. Here's what's so beautiful about the millennial kingdom. You ready? Here it is. Here it comes. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. The fear. The, the earth is going to be full of the knowledge of the Lord, which is salvation. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse. That's the Messiah. Listen to this. He'll stand up as a banner. He's going to stand up as a banner. In other words, you know what they do up on Route 51 up here or busy streets in your, your town? They advertise and say, come. Jesus is going to be there and say, he'll be the banner. And not only will the Jewish people come to him, the Gentiles there will too. They'll seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass, or it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again, again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left. In other words, the first time was when these people could come back into their country. But the second, listen, in the, listen, in the end of days, at the end of time, there are going to be people coming back into the land of Israel, the Jews and the Gentiles. Check this out. They're going to come from everywhere, Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, all these places. And he's going to set up, verse 12, a banner. And we'll, listen, he's going to assemble the outcasts of Israel, the northern ones that were spread. They're going to come back and gather together the dispersed of Judah, the diaspora from the four corners of the earth. And by the way, this has been happening. The, the birth pangs of this have been happening over the last hundred and uh, some years. In the late 1800s, Zionism came into play. 1920s, 1930s, Zionism, 1948, Israel becomes a state, 1967, another great victory, 1973, great victory for Israel, all the things are in place, but at this time, look at this, skip with me down to verse 16, there's going to be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left uh, from Israel, there's going to be a holy highway, I put that in there, but there's going to be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. Just like when he led them from Egypt. Listen to this. He's going to lead them. He's going to be the banner and say, come, and they're going to come. It's going to be beautiful and awesome. The remnant back into their land and will be there as well. And you should read this part. I'm going to real quick. Sorry, I know it's late. Verse 13, 
Also, the envy of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. There's not going to be any more tension between them. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom, in the millennial kingdom. That's going to be over. Verse 14, they're going to fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines toward the west. Together they'll plunder the people of the east. They'll go past Jordan. Uh, they'll lay their hand on Edom and Moab, uh, Transjordan. And the people of Ammon shall obey them north of the Dead Sea on the east side over there. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the Sea of Egypt with his mighty wind. He will shake his fist over the river, listen to this, and strike it in the seven streams, and men can cross over dry shod. In other words, he's going to pave the way for people to get back to the land of Israel. There's going to be, just like there was an exodus, there's going to be a highway in to the promised land, listen to this, in the millennial kingdom. Is that beautiful or what? Well, look at this. Just read it. And in that day, verse, or chapter 12, you will say, here it was, a hymn of praise. Oh, Lord, I'll praise you. Oh, Lord, I'll praise you. A regathering time. Uh, it'll be just so beautiful to celebrate and to uh, gather with the people of God. Though you were angry with me, your anger's turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I'll trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength, song, salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then that day, uh, you will say, praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his needs, deeds among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel. And where is he? In your midst, in the millennial kingdom. Let me tell you something, folks. There's nothing more heavenly or divine in your life than when you're doing these things. Listen, counting on the Lord to be your strength and song and salvation drawing from the water that Jesus told us to draw for. He said, if any man thirsts, come and drink from me. And he'll never thirst. You can be satisfied in me. Keep drinking from the well of Jesus. And praise the Lord. There's nothing so heavenly as praising the Lord. And then, look, look, going out and declaring his deeds among the people. I guess one thing that we should add to the study of the book of Isaiah, and we'll close right here, is this is that it makes me want to run out of here and share the gospel with everybody I come in contact with. And anybody who's watching this, I want you to know that there is good news. Uh, we, we come face to face with the gospel right from the get-go in the Bible. We are uh, staring down the fact that we're all sinners. Fourth page of the Bible. There's a murder, brother on brother. We're sinners, and we need a Savior. There's no heart uh, that's good. No, not one. We're deceptively wicked. And the penalty for our sins is death. The wages of sin is death. Spiritual separation from God. But God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son Christ to die in our place. And those who can, uh, believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and he was raised from the dead. Those who repent and agree with God on all those things and turn and move towards God, the Bible says he or she shall be saved. And so if that's for you tonight, I'm just asking that you pray that with us here as we close out tonight. Lord, thank you for this night. Thank you for these people who are listening and paying attention and uh, grabbing their Bibles.
and uh, writing these things down and following along. And Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone out there who's tired of living a life um, as a sinner who's not been saved by your grace through faith, then I pray, Lord, that they would entrust their lives to you, admitting they're sinners, repenting, and uh, agreeing with you that that's their condition or our condition without you, and then asking you to come into their lives and be their Lord and Savior, trusting you for the penalty or for the payment of your, their, their sins, and then n- knowing that you're going to come into their heart, Lord, and then we just pray uh, for those who've prayed that prayer, well, that you would, uh, Lord, uh, uh, just guide them and direct them by your Holy Spirit, who you say comes into their lives and my life. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. So God bless you guys. Uh, if there's anything we can do for you, if anyone's prayed a prayer of salvation or uh, rededicated their life to Christ, or if there's any business that you'd like to do with the Lord and you just want to discuss it, well, you can contact the church and all of that information Uh, We'll be here after the tape. So God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you next time, Lord willing. Thank you.